0: as his mother today our title of our lesson is a different kind of suffering our family theme is tested in suffering how many like to suffer anybody how many get say, boy i sure hope i get to suffer today we don't like that do we so our family theme is tested in suffering our objective is to choose that's a key word there make a choice to rejoice and entrust ourselves to god's will when suffering Hardship, now notice it as well, because of living for Jesus Christ. We'll be in first Peter chapter four today, the first nineteen verses. Three key truths. Number one, that we view suffering as Christ did. Number two, love and serve one another in the middle of suffering. And number three, glorify God in the way we handle suffering. In our Bible basics, we're encouraged to review uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, after the first half of uh, verse 16, where Paul says, all things were created by him, and by him all things consist. Who's the him in that verse? Yeah, by God, by Jesus Christ. So where does this lesson fit? As the last three or four have in Peter, he wrote this around 62, 63 A.D. And I get started this morning, I, I want to, you know, give God praise because for the most part, uh, wouldn't you agree that here in America, we suffer very little persecution? Uh, you know, sometimes people may look at you weird, may make fun of you, but compared to what's going on around our world, and uh, our our study guide gave us a, a website to visit uh, to get some examples, and uh, I forget which country I was looking at, but it's just about anywhere where Hinduism is popular, Christians are having a difficult time because what they're being accused of is of forcing Hindus to become Christians. And in a lot of those areas, uh, churches have been demolished, uh, some have been burned, uh, worship gatherings have been disrupted, uh, crosses in the graveyard have been uh, vandalized, uh, Bibles and other Christian ledgers are being confiscated, uh, and things like that in fact a lot of pastors in those countries have been beaten and jailed and several have been killed for their faith over the past few years and you know uh sometimes as christians are often arrested and a lot of times they're detained up to three weeks after being falsely accused and they're accusing them of trying to force Hindus into becoming christians now again uh and I forget where I read this a couple of months ago. It's hard for me to believe this. I mean, to I don't know how I can say this because I always think of the persecution uh, during the early days of the church. But the facts state the church across all world today is more persecuted today than it ever has been in church history. So we need to pray for those folks. We need to pray and ask God's help. Well, in light of all that was going on around our world, again, I thank the Lord we don't, Experienced it here in our nation right now. But we need to remember, God's in control. And uh, first of all, as a Christian, should we be surprised if we have to suffer for Christ? No. Paul said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, thank God we're not experiencing so much here in our, our nation today. But, even though the Bible said we ought to expect that, does it mean it's easy to live in it? Absolutely not. So, that's today we're going to find out how we should handle it should we ever be persecuted for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 4 of First Peter, it sort of serves as the heartbeat, if you will, uh, Peter encouraging believers not to give up in the midst of their trials and their persecutions. Now, Peter realized uh, the persecutions they were facing. He realized how tough it was for them, and he uses the example of Jesus Christ. He gives them that example as a way of helping those who are suffering persecution uh, to find uh, the determination to continue living for Christ even though there's a temptation to give up. Peter says it's going to be worth it all. Let's pick it up in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's read the first six verses, and we're going to find out the key here is to view suffering the same way Christ did. The first six verses, 1 Peter 4. Go Thank you, Dan. Now, remember, it's important that we not forget Peter is writing uh, primarily to the Jews, but the Christians, actually, who have been dispersed because of persecution. And not not all of them were dispersed because of persecution. Uh, Just the Christians scattered all over the world. And my question is, is Peter speaking hypothetically or about a real problem? Absolutely. There was no doubt these Christians were suffering persecution. Now, again, various degrees of it, but they were suffering. And so, how does Peter say, how does he advise them to handle that? What's he tell them to do? There in verse 1. Say what now? Absolutely. Now, what did Peter know about Christ's suffering? that's right he watched it he saw him go through exactly what he went through in fact Peter addresses that uh, in his epistles about you know how they railed, after his, uh, they railed against him and Christ you know, didn't say a word he didn't hurl words back at him and so Peter watched it happen uh, and he saw the attitude that Jesus had Do you remember the time when they came to arrest uh, Jesus and Peter drew the sword what did Jesus tell him yeah put it away it's not the time. And Peter saw the whole thing. And so again, Peter had been through a lot of what Jesus had gone through. He saw it happen with his own eyes. And uh and by the way, we know he was crucified. Was that justly? He did he deserve it? No. He he didn't deserve that. But the, the bottom line was he willingly placed himself, his uh his own desire. Uh, He placed that second to the will of God in his life. He wasn't concerned about his own comfort. So Peter, having witnessed what Christ went through, also seeing how Christ dealt with the situation, he says, look, you need to equip yourself with that same kind of attitude. You know, let Jesus Christ be your example. Now, first of all, Peter says, if you are willing to suffer for God, that is an indication that your purpose in life is to glorify God and not to continue in sin. Now, we're preaching this morning, again, about developing a heavenly mindset. And I don't know how long it took me to realize this. I'm not sure I have it all together yet. But we have to know this, folks. It's the power of God that changes our lives. And Peter is saying, look, what you need to understand is this. If you are willing to suffer for God, if you're willing to glorify God, that is a good indication you have no desire to continue in sin. Now, it's interesting. You know, Peter says... Through faith, you've identified with Christ, and because of that, you are finished with sin. Now, we'll talk more about that here in just a second here. But Peter's saying, now look, if you're in Christ, if you've been born again, you have now been delivered from sin's dominion in your life. Folks, that is so important to know as we walk hand in hand with God. So Peter says, look, we need to live to do the will of God because we have to understand there is a time coming when we will answer to God for how we lived our lives in this world. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper here with this idea that Peter was teaching that as believers uh, we cease from sin or we're done with it. So what does he mean by that? Well, a question I would ask, does he mean that once we're saved we will never sin again? Is that what he means? Okay, and he said no, and that's the right answer. But why? Why would you say that? Did Peter stop sinning once he got saved? No, we don't either. So that's not what he means, okay? doesn't mean we never sin again. But it's important, but Peter says, look, and verse 2 kind of continues that thought. Uh, Peter says, once we put our faith in Christ, once we trust him as our Savior, Peter says, from that point on, sin no longer has that ruling uh, that authority in our lives anymore doesn't mean we don 't struggle with it, but it's no longer the domineering factor of our lives. Now earlier in chapter one of first Peter, he speaks about uh, I'm sorry chapter two verse Peter, he speaks about dying out to sin. and the idea talks about making a past break from something that now gives us a present freedom. We no longer have to serve sin. We want to spend our lives pursuing the will of God. We want our life to glorify God. We want His will, not our will, done in our life. So what that means is the desires, my, my human desires are no longer the only, are the, are the priority in my life. Now my pursuit of God is. Folks, that is a key difference. But also understand, we no longer identify with sin. We have a new identity, and that identity is with Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, in the book of Romans, talks about this issue uh, when he says we're no longer slaves, uh, we're no longer servants to sin, uh, but we're servants to God now. Now remember, we're going to struggle with this until Jesus comes, or until God calls us home. But the bottom line is, we are no longer slaves to sin, and now we can live for Jesus Christ. And now Christ has become the tri- prior the ruling principle of our lives. And so we no longer want to serve sin, we want to serve Him. Now remember, remember folks, being born again is a complete work of God. How do I know? Because we know once we're saved, if we're born again, our desire is no longer to please ourselves, but now we want to please God. So Peter said, if you are willing to suffer for God, it's an indication you are done with sin. You don't want to give in to sin. Because the bottom line is, folks, we are now new creatures in Christ, a new creation in Christ. In verse 3, Peter uses the word Gentile there. And that word Gentile is sort of a generic word in this particular case. And it refers to all kinds of unbelievers, those without Christ, uh, those that are caught up in immoral behavior. Uh, that, is, you know, that comes along with that. And Peter gives a list, and again, not exhaustive. it uh, talks about two sexual sins, uh, two sins of self-indulgence, and two religious sins. But the bottom line is this. Whenever our lives... When we are born again, our lifestyle needs to give evidence to a life of holiness. We want to live to please God in everything. That doesn't mean we always do, but we always want to please God in everything we do. Now, Peter says, when you live godly before an ungodly world... They're gonna love you for that. Is that what he says? No. What are they gonna do? Yeah, they're gonna hate you. They're gonna be surprised that you don't live the way you used to live, that you don't do the things that you used to do. And it's interesting. Uh, they going to rep- they're gonna they're uh, gonna slander you. They're going to malign you. But here's what we need to understand. What matters most, what they think about us or what God thinks about us. Yeah, what God thinks about us. And we must not forget that. What God thinks about us doesn't is so much more important than what they think about us. And Peter says, Hey, what you need to know is this one of these days, we're all going to give an account to God. They are, and we will. And we have to understand that. So, it doesn't matter. Nobody is going to escape the judgment uh, that God's going to bring on how we lived our lives. And then in verse 6, Peter, probably referring to believers who had already died since hearing the gospel message and were converted. Uh, now, again, uh, they were saved first, but uh, Peter says, look, they are not going to face judgment for their sins. Why? Because they came to Christ in this life. And those who are saved look forward to a brighter day, eternity with Christ. So, it's important to understand, folks. Well, let me make sure we understand. Was it easy for Jesus to go through what he went through? No. And it won't be easy for us. So, the fact of the matter is this. If we desire and really want to live for Christ, we will face persecutions. But also remember, that's simply another evidence that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. It is spiritual warfare. So let's apply it. We need to be willing to put God's will ahead of our own comfort and our own desires. Is that always easy to do? No, but we have to be willing to do that. Put God's will ahead of our own comfort. Excuse me, and our own desire. So let's let's do a little discussion here. Why do you think it is sometimes? Why do unbelievers treat believers badly? What do you think some of the reasons are? Say it again. Okay. That could be true. That's that's part of it, I think. What What other reasons do you think they treat us badly? Do you realize, and the Bible is very clear about this in several places, when you live a righteous, holy life, it brings conviction to those who are lost. Now, they don't want to admit it. But they know there's something missing in their life. Question number two. Peter says we need to be willing to suffer for our faith. How, if we are willing to suffer for our faith, how does that show that we are no longer dominated by sinful desires? If we're willing to suffer... For Christ's sake, how does that show we are no longer dominated by our simple desires? Absolutely. Because if we were not putting him first, we would put our own selves first. It's what I want, my desires, my pleasure. We would put that above living for God. Now again, we're not perfect at that. And I understand that. We don't always do the will of the Father, but we should always want to do the will of the Father. So key point number one, view suffering the way Christ did. Number two is we are to love and serve one another, notice says, even in the midst of suffering. Anybody want to read verses 7 through 11? Amen. Love and serve one another, even when we're suffering through trials. Now, notice verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? When could this world end? Thank you, at any time. It could happen at any time. The end of this present system, Peter says. Now, it's interesting. We know the Bible teaches that Christ is coming again. And it will not only be the climax of a historical timeline, but it will be the very purpose for which God has been working toward. All things will be made new. And Peter says... Understand the things that's going on around us will soon one day come to an end. So Peter says, in light of that, make sure that you are sober minded, you're under self control. And the reason is that you might continue in prayer. So important in our lives. And the idea here is continuing in prayer, especially as they gather together in local church life kind of interesting here Uh, first of all if we are going to set an example in how we live for christ uh, we have to have a love for one another and biblical love is self-sacrificing we care about the needs of others And, and peter says that love Needs to be a fervent love. What does that mean? To be a fervent love. Absolutely, it's not dull. It's not uh, cold. It's a very active, a very uh, moving love, and, and and certainly without a doubt. And so, it's got to be self-sacrificing. It ought to be energetic. It needs to be intense. And so Paul, Peter said it needs to be a fervent love. It doesn't waver, doesn't get hot and cold, it stays that way all the time. And then Peter, a quote from Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12, he said, when you love that way, when you love that way, it'll cover a multitude of sins. What do you think that means? Does God condone sin? No. But who's perfect? No one. And if we didn't allow love to cover some sins, we wouldn't love anybody. And we're not condoning that. Not at all. Because when we practice that kind of love, the idea is that that kind of love reaches out to those. And we hope they would reciprocate to us as well and reach out with forgiveness, uh, reach out with restoration, and and, and certainly... Uh, I think the important thing is we learn to treat others the way God has treated us. We learn to forgive others to the same degree God has forgiven us. And so when we love that way, it, it, it helps us, if you will, to overlook the faults and even the sins of other people. But secondly, Peter says that kind of love not only does it cover a multitude of sins, Peter says, it will show in your hospitality to one another. Now, again, we are several centuries removed from that culture. And uh, if you drove into town in that culture, uh, in any local town, how many Holiday Inns would you see there? Or Red Roof Inns, or you name it, okay? Slim to none, Okay. Just wasn't they weren't there. And so hospitality was very important there. And and certainly Peter says we need to show that love in our hospitality. And Peter said, When you do it, don't grumble and don't complain. Good advice. Don't grumble and don't complain. Because Peter says Whenever, whenever you love one another, that kind of love he talked about, when you when you show that kind of hospitality, it is a privilege to serve one another in that way. Now remember, he's writing to people who are being persecuted, not hypothetically, this is going on in their lives. And so he says, you know, love one another with that fervent love, that love will cover a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. Don't do it, be, and complain and, and grudge about it. Simply show hospitality. But he also says you need to understand you don't fight this battle on your own. God has given you some special gift. Now by the way, this is not a, a study on gifts this morning, but every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And if you don't know yours, you need to find it out. In fact, now if you can go on the internet, you can, you can Google that and they'll give you a sort of a survey to take and it will, it, it does an excellent job. I've taken it myself a couple of times through the years. It'll give you an excellent job on how to determine, to determine what your spiritual gift is. Now it's interesting. Here we have a, a group of people. Now I, again, Peter is talking in the context of the church, not a building, but a group of people. How to serve one another, how to love one another, how to be hospitable to one another. But Peter said, you have to understand, God has endowed you with special gifts, at least one, in order to serve within the church and to serve for the glory of God. So Peter says, take those gifts and brag about them. Think he said that? No, you know, he didn't. Paul didn't say that when he wrote to the Christian church. Peter says, take those gifts and serve one another. Whatever gift God has given you, use it to serve some way and somehow in the local church. Now, by the way, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm taking somebody else's word for it. But I understand that particular Greek word for that used here uh, is... Not based on a talent or a skill that you might already have. This is a gift given from God. It is an ability to do something you didn't have until God gave you that gift. Now, by the way, I think uh, there's four places in the scripture where spiritual gifts are mentioned. It's been a while since I've studied this up, but I think... Uh, Romans 12 was one place. Um, Let me kind of go through my mind here. 1 Corinthians 12 was another place. Ephesians 4 is another place. And here in Peter. None of the lists are exhausted. And here in 1 Peter, he lists two particular gifts. Now remember, these are not talents uh, that somebody already had. Special gifts from God. And they are there simply as a result of the grace of God. And so here Peter mentions two of those. The gift of serving and the gift of speaking God's truth. Now, first of all, Peter reminds us that every believer has a specific calling to be a good steward. To be a great manager of the gifts that God has been given to them. That includes everyone. We're to manage it well. And we're to use those gifts so people can look at us and say, wow, what a person that is. You know, I'm kidding, right? We're to use those gifts to glorify God. Use those gifts to glorify God and to edify the church. Cheryl, you read that a moment ago. And uh, I love this part of Scriptures. Because Peter breaks out in a doxology. And what's interesting is, we're not at the end of the chapter. We're not at, at the end of the letter. That's where you see a lot of doxologies. But I, when I read ones like this, you know, doxologies like this one, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Peter couldn't help himself. Now, now I realize there weren't verses in the chapter when he wrote this letter. Dan? Isn't Dan surprised he doesn't know that? You got me there, Dan. It comes from doxa. Uh, It usually means end, closing, okay? Now that's coming off the top of my head because it's been a while. But yeah, good question, Dan, okay? It's normally something you end with. Benediction, you start with it, okay? Uh, But I should look that up. That's that's a great question. But here's what I like about this this is spontaneous. I mean, you know, and, and now think about this. Uh, a lot of times when I uh, pray, I'll use a doxology. I'll get one from the Bible. Okay? Uh, in fact, you can Google Bible Doctology and you get a whole list of them. And I've done that before because it's just tremendous. But I look at this. You think Peter was reading it from another book? No. He was considering what he just heard himself say, what God had revealed to him and he couldn't help it. He breaks out in natural praise, giving God the glory. Amen. What a what a what a statement that is. Simply an outburst of praise to the glory of God through Jesus Christ his Lord. And Peter breaks out into doxology. So let's apply it. Bring glory to God, and we do it by serving one another. Now, by the way, I, I think this is worth mentioning. Uh our key point here, the second key point, is to uh serve one another, even in the middle of persecution and trials. Normally, when we're suffering, who are we thinking about? Ourselves. Who do we want to serve? Ourselves. You know, and that's, and that's human nature. And that's why I think Peter is very important here, that when we're suffering, we really bring glory to God when we're willing to serve one another in spite of the hardships we may be going through. <laughs> Why is it important that every believer use their gift to serve God and others? Why is that important? Why is that important? Absolutely. Sure you do. Yes, you do, and you know, and that's so important because uh, we can accomplish more. More needs can be met, and again, Cheryl, it helps us as a church to accomplish our mission by using the gifts God has given to us. Now, the second thing we want to mention for a moment, Peter tells us at least the indication is that loving each other. Is the most important thing we can do for one another. Now, my question is, why is that? Why is that the most important thing we can do for one another? Say it again. Yes, he did. And by the way, whenever we love one another, what's it lead us to do for somebody else? Whatever it takes. We're willing. To reach out to them. to To do the best for them. It helps us to kind of overlook some of their faults. And certainly it brings peace and unity. Within the fellowship of Christ. So important. So number one. We need to look at suffering the way Christ did. Number two. We still need to love each other. Serve each other. Even in the middle of suffering. And number three. We should glorify God, notice this, in the way we handle suffering. Anybody want to, want to read verses 12 through 19? Beloved, think it not strange, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. Rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come, notice this, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful Again, let me ask you a question. Peter is speaking about Christian suffering. Is he talking hypothetically, or is it really going on? It's going on. I mean, the heat is intense. And Peter says, and, and again, this is the second time in this chapter he mentions this, does he say we ought to be surprised when it happens? No. Don't be surprised. Don't let it catch you off guard. Uh, Peter said, you need need to know something. First of all, uh, Peter didn't really say this particularly, but I need to ask a question. Who's in charge? God is. And no matter what happens to our lives, what comes our way, wouldn't you agree God allowed it? Sure. And so Peter reminds them and us, Don't be surprised what's going on here. But you need to see the trials that God allows to come your way. You need to see them as God refining your faith through those trials. So he says, look, don't be surprised. Don't think it's something strange that just happens to you. Understand that. Now, by the way, do you remember what Jesus told the disciples? He said, if they hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you. He said, you know what? Uh, if they persecuted me, guess what? They'll persecute you. And then in chapter 10 of Matthew, he says that the disciples are not above his master. So don't expect anything different. They'll treat you the way they treated uh, me. Peter calls him a fiery trial. What do you think that means? Oh, yeah. This is not something mild, okay? This is intense. It is intense. A painful experience, if you will. Oh, wow, horrible ordeal, I believe. So Peter says, understand the reason that God allows these type of trials to come into our life. Is to prove to test our faith, and the idea is to learn the character of the nature of something. Now I've said it often. I'll say it again. Should America ever suffer real persecution, a lot of the church will thin out. It will test their faith. It will prove. If they're really who they say they are. So Peter said, whatever you do, don't think you're the only one. Don't feel like a a a lone ranger, if you will. Because trials and temptations can come to all Christians. And it reminds them that even Jesus experienced those kind of things. The Son of God, the God-man was not exempt from trials and tribulations. So Peter says, don't, don't cower down. Don't become bitter for it. But he says, rejoice. Now I gotta tell you, that's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Peter says, rejoice. Now I gotta tell you, and I'm confessing it today, that's not normally my first response. And sometimes it's hard to even get there, okay? But not normally my first response. But Peter said we can rejoice, because when we rejoice, we also identify even more with Jesus Christ and his sufferings. So count it all joy, James said, okay? And so, Peter says, look, we know you're going through tough times, and Peter would himself. We've got to look beyond that. We've got to look to the promise of the Scripture that those who take part in suffering with Christ will one day also take part in His glory. And my friend, that's a promise of God. It is the promise of God. Back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and He spoke of how it's a blessing to be reviled and persecuted. And so, when Peter speaks about the reproach of verse 14, he's talking about being slandered because we walk with Jesus Christ. uh, Because our lives are hid in Christ. Now, remember, uh, not being slandered for doing wrong. By the way, if we are reproached for doing wrong, guess what? We deserve it. We deserve it. But Peter says, now look. When you reproach for the name of Christ, that is totally different. When you reproach because of your association with Jesus Christ, that is a totally different ball game. And a lot of these believers, <coughs> because they expressed faith in Christ, because they associated as Christian with Christ, if you will, uh, they were uh, suffering discrimination. They were ridiculed for the the sake of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, "Look." No matter what they throw at your way, remember you are blessed. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. But I think the key is in verse 19. Peter says the best thing you can do is put your life into the hands of God. Trust Him. Trust Him. Continue to do good no matter what you're going through and know for sure He's got us in his hands. You and I in his hands. Let's stand together. Next week we're going to the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 13. And we're going to look at some of the signs of the times. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious word, God. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless each one of you.